At our church, Jesus is Lord. That single belief calls us together as a community and sends us into our world with hope and purpose. At our church, your past will never define your future. There's always redemption, which means there's always a brighter day. At our church, we don't think we're better than any other church out there. We're just doing our best to become our best. At our church, we want you to believe in God, but we also want you to know that God believes in you. We are not against people who don't attend church anywhere. Instead, we pursue them with love, the very same love that's pursuing us. At our church, we're learning to serve God with all our hearts, and we're learning to worship Him with all our lives. And if you're looking for the perfect church, we're not it. At our church, we will make mistakes, but we will choose to grow from them. At our church, we're part of a global community that's knit together by the resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, at our church, we believe that really happened too. At our church, we will engage with people who are in real need because we are the hands and the feet of Christ. And finally, we need you to hear this loud and clear. At our church, it's not really our church at all. It's His. And we live and move and breathe in His church for His glory and His fame, not ours. So here's the invitation. You're invited to jump in with your whole heart at your own pace and to experience the life that awaits you in Christ. Friends, this is going to be good. Welcome to our church. All right. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Awesome. So uh, this morning, we're in week number two of uh, Y Church. And um, so if it's okay with you, I'd just like to share with you this morning about what that looks like from my perspective. And so over the course of this last year, um, I've had a few different moments where God has just really kind of challenged me in my faith. And I feel like that's relevant to answering the question of why church this morning. So is it all right if I share with some of those highlights through the year? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. It's going to be so good. All right. So... I just have this question for you to think about. Have you ever thought to yourself, where is my faith taking me? I wish there was a safe place to just go and let my guard down and be real. I'm living my faith, but I just don't know what's next for me. I need some answers. Why do I need church? Isn't God everywhere? Perhaps you've asked all of these questions at one point in your faith, and it kind of revolves around this tension, I think, of why church? And I would suggest to you this morning the answer is simply this, that church is a faith community that creates crucial conversations. So let's look at that a little bit. Faith, number one, is most definitely a must. Often we have faith but we have no idea what it's supposed to look like on a daily basis. Is it a confession? Is it a label, a commodity, a survival tool, a religious act, a get out of hell free card? And the answer could be yes to all of those. But faith is so much more than just an identity, a saving act. It's a journey filled with purpose, a destination, a focus, a rewarding life. So where is your faith taking you? Most people could honestly answer that question, I don't know. Or if you're a student, IDK. <laughs> We're proficient at the first one. We know how to recognize what faith looks like, but we struggle with the second act, the role of it. Why is that? I believe it's because we haven't adequately learned how to rely on God firstly and completely. Listen to what scripture says about faith and, and pursuing passionately in faith. Come near to God and he will come near to you. But seek first God's kingdom and its righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. As God addresses your worries and concerns, he takes care of your needs. Ask.
ask and it will be given. Seek and, and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened. God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek after him. What is faith? It's a passionate pursuit. A life, a journey of purpose. This kind of faith gives us the ability to know if the mountain that is in front of us doesn't move, my faith will take me over it. It's our gripping point. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I've always read that verse, faith is the substance, as that way that we grip into eternity. It's that way we hold on to God. But I was kind of challenged by that or my perspective broadened uh, a couple of months ago when I was listening to Guy talk about um, gripping with your faith in, through the, the eyes of a climber. And um, if you're a climber, a professional climber, it doesn't take too long to realize that the most important grip that you have is your foothold, not your hands. So we could read that again. Faith is the substance, the foothold of things hoped for. It kind of changes the perspective a little bit. And so I need a volunteer really quick. I need a construction worker. Anybody do construction? Or you just feel like, I could do construction. I'm, I'm manly. I know how to do stuff. Come on. Come on, right? All right. She's giving you a thumbs up. Come here. Come on, Barry. Let's go. Give it up for Barry. Oh, that was weak. Come on, give it up for Barry. All right, so Barry... If there's a student in this room, they know what's coming. So I'm glad you volunteered and you can blame your wife afterwards because we know how that works. All right, so here's what I'm going to have Barry do. Barry, I just want you to just climb this ladder. All right. All right, you can do that. Climb on up. You don't have to go all the way to the top. That's all good. <laughs> He's like, I'm not doing it. All right, give it up for Barry. Wasn't that awesome? I know, it's the simple things in life. Come on down. Now, here's what we're going to do again. I want you to climb this ladder again, but I only want you to use your hands. So I want you to just, you know how it's done, all right? So you're going to try the best you can to climb your, wherever. If you want to start on rung three, that's good. You just see what, how, how it feels. You try to climb it with your hands. You ready? Come on, let's give Barry a hand one more time. Come on. All right, let's do it. Just see what you can do. Try to pull. Try to see what happens. Oh, look at that. Give it up for me. Now, it was harder, wasn't it? All right. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you very much. And so this is kind of a good parallel to what faith looks like. We think faith as hand grips. I want you to think faith more, not just with your hands, but with your footholds. Why is it we can look at a ladder and we can climb right up this thing to the top, right? No problem, right? Because we understand that I can put my feet down on a solid foothold and I don't really have to hold on that much, right? So in faith, what are you, what are you standing on? What is your foothold? We wonder why by faith that we're struggling so much to hold on, right? We're struggling to hold on, but what, what are you putting your feet on? It's a whole lot harder to hold on to God if what your foot is standing on isn't very solid, right? I mean, think about this. It's hard to pull yourself up. It's hard, isn't it? You try this. Barry will tell you. So what does your foothold look like? It's really important in this idea if we're going to climb the mountains that are in front of us. How then can you stand? Scripture says this, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that in the, when the evil day comes, how many have had a bad day before, a day you'd define as evil? Yes. Well, hands. Probably more than one. It's not just talking about one day. It's a day that you can expect to happen in your life that you just can't predict, but you know that it's coming. 
Put on the full armor of God so when that day comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after have done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand in truth, in right living, with the peace that comes from God, from faith. Those are what the armor looks like. And the word of God. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. And God is faithful. He will not let you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will be able to provide an escape so that you can stand up under it. God is faithful. There's a story in the Old Testament about Elijah, the prophet, and his servant. And there's a whole host of armies around the, the, the man of God. And the servant goes out and says, hey, there's this huge army. What are we supposed to do? And the prophet prayed and said, open his eyes to see there's more with us than those who are against us. And he went out and he saw a heavenly host of horses and chariots that were out there that he didn't see before. I'm telling you, there is more with us than there are against us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, come on. There's no temptation when God's with us. He'll help you to stand up under it. When you're standing on God, when you're standing by faith, it's not just about your grip, it's about your footing. And when you stand on God, you're standing on something solid. Sorry. It's a good thing you came to first service. I'm gonna be so tired by the time I get to second service. Pace yourself. But I wanna tell you about a tremendously difficult footing. It's one that I've recognized throughout the years that is just, it seems like it has defeated more people in faith. And I feel like even this morning, it might be affecting some here in this room. It's a tremendously difficult footing that says, God, why? Why? Why is this happening? You ever been there? I have. But you know, I've really thought about that a lot this last week. And I really think it goes a little bit deeper than just why is this happening. I think it goes to the fact of why is this happening to me? It's different when it's you. There's a lot of whys in the world that I say, God, why? But when it comes to my house, that's a game changer. You better be standing on something solid when that happens. Why? Why? And I'll tell you the solution is not really found in an answer. Answers don't often take away the pain. I have never, and I would never do this, I would never go in to a place where somebody is hurting and dying and say, I can tell you why this is happening. In the beginning, Adam and Eve sinned, and therefore there was these sinful consequences, and our bodies can't take it, they're dying, and that's the answer. Our bodies are dying. Are you happy now? <laughs> no, I would never do that. Our, our car um, within this last year got broke into. We left the doors unlocked, and I could tell when I went in, and and got into the car immediately, everything had been pillaged, all the doors were open, and you know what? When somebody gets into your space, you feel like you've just been taken advantage of, right? And it's like, you feel helpless. I, I just can't seem like I can do anything. Why, God, why? And I'll tell you, I've never found that the answer has taken away that feeling of when somebody's invaded my life. But I will tell you, when you feel like why it's invaded your life, the answer is not in the answer, but an anchor of Jesus Christ. He is our anchor. He is the one that we can hold to. He is the solution that helps 
us walk through life's difficult journey. God's word is his revelation to us that we can look back into his word, that when we have questions, we can see a God who is holding his people together, who demonstrated his love for us, something that we can anchor to. A third one that I want to talk about this morning, and I'll talk more about in just a minute, is this idea of a faith community, the church. Church, this place is a a place that can help you to find a footing in your hour of need. When you're questioning why, you can surround yourself with a group of believers that have been through some stuff, and they might not be able to have the answers you're looking for, but they can show you how to walk through those valleys because they've been there, and they might be walking through them with you at the same time. I'm just saying to you, community is really important It can bear your burden. Footholds are important. So are the hand grips. I listened to an expert climber talk about the hand grips, and he said, think of hand grips like a light bulb. You hold on just enough to grip it, but not enough to break it. He said a lot of climbers early on make a mistake of gripping too hard and straining their hands, and they lose their grip. They try to control it, instead of connect with it. And I would say that's a big mistake that we make. We grip on to God thinking we have to grip hard enough to control. But what we really should be doing is gripping hard enough to connect with God, with the ability to know that if God says move, we can move. He's big enough to hold us. An expert, expert climber, Andrew um, Bisharat, said this, be strong before, or be good before getting strong. Beginners and Im- intermediate climbers have approached me wanting to know how to get strong. He says, but I've never had anyone ask how to get good. They just want to know how to get strong. Another uh, person said, focus on the technique. One of our world's greatest expert climbers has been noted to have uh, climbed an extremely difficult sport course 50 times perfectly before moving on to something even more extreme. Get your technique down. Worry more about the quality of your focus than the hours that you're logging. So when you leave here today, I want you to leave here thinking about this idea of quality and not just practicing. It's a really good model for faith in prayer. We pray prayers all the time, but often our prayers, if you really boiled them down to it, might be filled with a lot of words, but maybe not with a lot of quality and focus. I challenge you in your prayer life to write your prayers down. Make a focus. Start journaling. The, one of the greatest things that I did when early on as a believer, because I didn't know how to pray, I just wrote down the top 40 things that were there and I started praying them. It took me 20 minutes because I didn't know what I was doing. And I can tell you within a short time that I saw God answering several things on that list. And I'm telling you, If you'll just start writing those things down, intentional, focused thought, God, here's what I'm asking for. You'll be surprised at how God will show up and answer that in a surprising way. Think progress, not perfection. Three times Paul asked, I begged the Lord, take away this thorn in the flesh. And each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can do work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and trouble that I suffer. For I know when I am weak, then he is strong. You don't have to be perfect. Just look for the progress that you're making. In faith, if you wake up every morning and you say yes to Jesus, that's progress. That's progress. Number two, faith community is a non-negotiable. Every believer needs to have a safe landing place, a place to call home. You can't have the same kind of conversations at work that you can have here. 
You can have them maybe one-to-one, but in the overall, you can't have the same kind of faith community at work that you have here. There's safety here. There's a place to come home. And people in faith need a safe place. People who don't have faith are looking for a safe place to come and find help for their hurting. That's the church, the hope that we have to offer to the world in Jesus' name. You were not made to live alone. It didn't take long in the garden to witness the reality that Adam needed somebody. He needed Eve. Scripture says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a three-braided cord is not easily broken. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if one person falls alone, they're in real trouble. Two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? Scripture is revealing to us very clearly that if we're to follow Christ, it means we cannot isolate ourselves from people and expect a good ending. I'll tell you, over the last two, three months in our Christian leadership realm, my heart has been really grieved. Not necessarily in our denomination, but just globally. There's been at least two that I know of, of solid, pronounced uh, Christian leaders that have given up their faith and made that public. Joshua Harris, many people might know that if you've, if you've been around in the 90s, he produced a book, I, just, I, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Came out and said, by all measures that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. At this moment, I do not view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive, awake, and surprisingly hopeful. Marty Sampson, Hillsong singer, songwriter of many years, came out just after that and said, I'm genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world. Listen, that's not the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. That peace is a lying peace spoken into their lives by the enemy. There's one peace that Jesus offered that the world cannot give, and that's the peace that comes from the cross. It demonstrates to mankind that when we look at the cross and we've said yes to Jesus, we have peace with God. And when you walk away from that kind of peace, whatever else you're putting in there is just a numbing effect that will wear off in a short time, and you'll find your life looking like disaster. So if you get to that place where you're saying, I don't need Jesus anymore, and you feel good about it, you need to do a quick heart check. But there's a third one that just happened this, within this last couple of weeks. Jared Wilson, a pastor and mental health advocate, commits suicide. He's about my age. Committed suicide left his wife and two young kids. And to you, it might seem a little distasteful for me to bring that up, but I'm not bringing it up to see a a person that was hurting and took their own life. But it makes a really good point that just because you're in a faith community doesn't mean you don't feel isolated. Just because you're in a faith community doesn't guarantee Tragedies won't happen. It means, listen, it means everybody needs community, even the ones that look fine on the outside. We crave value, hope, significance, and a love that can penetrate the darkness. Just because tragedies happen doesn't mean we stop reaching. We need each other. We need each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need someone here. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need someone here. Good. Good. Now you got it. 
The most damaging thing about pride is the illusion that we're strongest alone. I can just pick my life up by my bootstraps and make a way for me. That is not always the case. Because when you're alone, you fall alone. And when you're alone, you have two places in faith to fall, toward God or away from God. And let me just say this, when you have a community of believers standing behind you, there's only one way to fall, and that's forward. You need each other. Someone here needs you. Community is important because it's a key component that when your disciplines fail, like reading scripture and praying and trusting, you have a community of believers that can say, hey, where are you at? I've never had my Bible. They say, hey, man, you missed church today. I've never had my Bible talk to me on my desk unless I read it. But when your disciplines fail, I've had people that said, hey, how are you doing? You look like you're burdened today. Community is important. Someone here needs you. Someone maybe who's struggling, who's just surviving. And you may never, you may never really know who that person is. But don't stop encouraging don't stop speaking life, speaking warmth. Because when we're walking together in faith in the same direction, we feel value. Other people in this community need you. Someone here needs you. I can tell you that maybe you've asked this question. Have you ever thought, I wish this person was here to listen to this message. Have you ever thought that? Yeah. You ever thought, man, this is so good. I've thought of so-and-so. If they could just hear this, that would really help them. Maybe you know somebody right now who just needs to be here. I'll tell you what initially attracted me to church was this. There was a guy who was like 85 years old when I first come to church, and he was greeting at the desk. And he didn't know me, and I didn't know him. And he greeted me and he shook my hand and he began to have a conversation. And week after week, he'd ask me about what I was doing in sports and wrestling. Because his grandson wrestled, he had something to talk to me about. And every week, he'd pull out of his pocket, give me a $5 bill. And he says, take it. Do whatever with it. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Who is this guy? Who just gives a stranger five bucks? But it, it marked me. It made me different, it made me feel different. When I came to church, I wasn't coming to church so that I could find the deepest depth of my faith and what that looked like. I came to church and found faith because I was looking for friendship. I was alone. I had separated from my old habits and my old ways. I had drawn a line, and so because I had drawn a line, I had, I had lost all of my friends, and I was depressed. God, I need friends. I have nobody. And I came to church and I found friendship and I found people who were struggling in similar situations like I was. And you know what? I didn't find perfect people. I found real people with real problems who were finding a real God meeting their needs. That's found in community. And the goal of community is unity. Listen to what Jesus said. He prayed for all believers I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus prayed that we would be perfect in unity. We would sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron, knocking the edge off each other. Perfect in unity. We're a team. We're a family. We're one body. And somebody asked years ago, they asked Kurt Ferentz, how do you do it when your team has off days? And he says, when you have an off day, you rely on others' composure. We need each other. And the result of being together in perfect unity not with yourself, with each other. The goal is, is that when people walk in here and they see us, that they will know that Jesus is from God. 
that he's the savior of the world when in this place we're unified together. And here's the other one that just, this one just blows my mind. This one, I'm just still wrapping my mind around it. It's still taking me back saying, God, I just, I just don't know how this is. It's the part where it says, and that you would love them as much as you love me. Think about that. That's mind-blowing. That's perfect Jesus. One of the Trinity. And he prays to the Father that the world would know that you love them as much as you love me. Imperfect me. The Father would love me like he loves Jesus, the part of the Trinity. How does that work? I don't know. But I can tell you this, as much as I'm standing here, there's times and moments that we all can feel like God's love is for everybody, but I'm just a little bit of an exception that I've gotten a little bit less. Not from that verse you're not. In that verse it says there's no exceptions. It's for all of us. That the Father in heaven loves you as much as he loves his one and only son. That he spared no expense for you. Come on. I'm telling you. When you feel like you're at your lowest point and you, and you feel like God's love is far, remember that verse. It's, it's not that far. He loves you as like he loves his son. Think about that. Without reservation, without fail, how wide, how deep is the Father's love for his son? That's massive. And if it's for his son, it's for us too. I'm telling you, you should think about that. That'll blow your mind. Number three, faith community creates crucial conversations that are a game changer. Church is a community that produces mere moments. Be doers of the word and hearers only. Otherwise, if you're, you're deceiving yourself, if anyone who hears the word but does not carry it out, he's like a man who looks in the mirror and walks away. But at the same time, you could also look at that verse and say, it's also like the man who sees himself and walks away changed. We need those mere moments. Those crucial conversations is what those are. Those are mere moments that we have with God and other believers, whether they're spoken out loud or we hear internally. Because we don't always know with what we're saying that it's a crucial conversation in somebody else's life. You might say a word of encouragement or kindness just passing and that means everything to another person that you didn't know about. I'm talking about crucial conversations. The rich young ruler was a man of perfect pedigree. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they go back and forth and he's talking about, he's done all these things, he's, he's kept all the commandments, he's a good guy, he, he has wealth. And in the Old Testament, if you had wealth, that was a sign to those people that God was blessing their house in favor. All these things I have, God what must I do to inherit eternal life? I believe he went there and he probably thought God was going to give him an attaboy. But there was a crucial conversation that Jesus brought forward and he said, go and sell all you have and give to the poor. And then follow me. That's because there was something in his life, his wealth, that was holding him back. And listen, he's not saying that to everybody. God blesses people. He expects us to use our resources, whatever you got. But in this story, this was a hang-up for him. His wealth was his security. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you can't be secure in your finances and follow at the same time. You got to follow. He couldn't leave behind his treasure. He missed the boat as Jesus and his disciples went away. 
His concern was in his morality, his achievements, his influences, and his comforts. He thought redemption was just only about him. His workout program, the way that he could control his life, how to invest what seemed sensible to him. And he chose his treasure that day instead of redeeming the world. Think about that. He could have been one of the 12. He could have been one of the disciples. And we don't know what happened in the rest of his life, only we see this moment. He could have given it all away for something more fruitful and he missed, listen, this is important, he missed his redemptive purpose when he watched the boat sail away. Our faith, the faith that we have is to lived out, to be lived out redemptively. Not just in here, but wherever we go, in your workplace. You may not be able to talk about your faith in Jesus, and I get that, but you can always live your faith out redemptively and show the love of Jesus. Your faith requires and demands that you see your, the, your life, though he saved you, as something to be saved for a redemptive purpose. And he was calling the rich guy, remember, perfect pedigree by everybody's standpoint into a life of redemptive purpose. And he says, I just can't get there. Listen, God's calling you to live a life, to come after him. Discover your redemptive purpose in a broader and deeper way. And so everybody needs an Alfred. Batman had Alfred. Only Alfred can have the conversation that Batman needs. If you've ever seen the first Batman, Christian Bale, I'm not recommending, I'm just talking about it because I've seen it. And um, in that whole movie, Christian Bale, Bruce Wayne, is all about redeeming city of Gotham trying to help it, trying to save his city. And he gets in a hurry, he, get, he lets his passions run in front, and he's constantly reminded by his butler, Alfred, saying, hey, if you're just going to be like, uh, just disobey all of the laws and just be like a criminal, you're no better than them. He can have the crucial conversations Jesus can be our Alfred. He can have the conversations with us that nobody else can. And so, have you ever sat at the table and uh, knew there was something that you needed to talk about with your parents or with someone really important, but you just, you knew you couldn't do it? Right? Have you ever been at the table? I mean, think about this. I, I mean, th this is how we are. We know we need to talk about something, but I ain't bringing it up. And you're hoping that the person at the head of the table is not going to bring it up. So what do we do? We just eat our food. I hope he doesn't talk about that. This is a good trip. Oh, man, Jesus. That's fish filet. I love fish. Fish and chips. I love fish and chips. And we keep our heads down. And we keep quiet. Hoping the conversation will just pass us by. That's kind of how we are with God. God, please don't, don't talk about that today. Hoping it'll just go away. And that's the story of Peter. Peter falls as a disciple. Jesus meets him at the shore afterwards. He's about ready to restore him. And they're sitting at the table eating their fish, and I can imagine Peter sitting there. No one's talking very much. He's got his head down. He's eating his fish and chips. And think about this. He's not asking Jesus, do you love me? He's not even saying, because this is what I'd be asking, Jesus, how can you still love me? I messed up. I failed. And so Jesus takes the initiative for a crucial conversation. 
Simon, do you love me? Now think about this. John records him as Simon Peter or Peter the Rock. But Jesus in this moment only calls him Simon. Why did he do that? Simon, the person I saw at the beginning. Simon, the person of potential. Simon, the person I believe in. Simon, the person I knew who you were when I called you. Simon, the person who I knew would fall. Listen, Alfred believed in Bruce Wayne because he was Bruce Wayne. At Bruce's worst moments in the movie, Alfred's there and, and, and Christian Bale says, you still haven't given up on me. And with unflinching, an unflinching posture, he turns to him and he says, never. And that's our God to us. Still haven't given up on me, Jesus? Never. I can imagine that's how Peter was in there. Still love me? I still haven't given up on you. I still believe in you. Simon, I don't love you because I called you Peter the Rock. I love you because you're Simon. Jesus doesn't love you because of who you think you need to be whatever title you've written over your life, he loves you because of who you are. He loves you because of you. Your mistakes, your good, your bad, your all. Just you. He just loves you. That's it. We could all fit in that story. So after the third time, he asked the question, Peter's hurt, because he knows he's talking about denying in faith. So after the third time of saying that, Peter responds to him and he says, look, Jesus, I know what you're talking about. You know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus still says, feed my sheep. It's like he's saying, you're right, Peter. I do know all things. I know who you are. I know your mistakes. I know it all. And I'm still asking you to be with me. There's still work to do. I still haven't given up on you. And you can be a part of the crucial conversation. A couple weeks ago, we had our, our, our uh, annual BSC bash upstairs, and we had a great night, a lot of fun. And there was a student who, had, who hadn't been there in a year, and he came, and I got a chance to talk to him. So several of our leaders got to talk to him. Some of our students at BSC got to talk to him. Great conversation. Lots of people talked to him. But on the way out that night, he's on his way at the end of the sidewalk as he's walking out. And the last person he sees is a leader, one of our leaders, and the guy says, hey, I've missed you. Haven't seen you for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I've lost my license. You know what? I was just thinking about you the other day. I was just thinking, where are you at? You need to be here. And it, and it really took the student off guard. And he says, really? You thought that? I'm like, yeah. How's life? He says, well, not very good. I've been fighting with my dad. And more than just words. And the leader stopped there and spoke out of his own experience and says, listen, I know you're hurting, but love your dad. Love your parents. I'm talking about crucial conversations that can help us refocus and recenter. I'd love to tell you like in that moment that he's just like, you know what, I've just, I, I need Jesus right now and got down and prayed. But it was a part of the process that he knew somebody in this place, this church, the church, knew he mattered. That's you and me. That's you and me. Have the worship team come back.
Why church? Church offers a foothold for your faith to scale the mountain. You hear this morning? You feel like you're holding on? Listen. It's not about your grip. It's about his. His ability to hold you up. And if you're here this morning and you need that, own it and walk in it. And you'll find he's with you. When you're weak, he is strong. The church offers a safe community that unifies our redemptive purpose. When we all get aligned in faith, man, what couldn't God accomplish through us when we're all on the same page, seeking our redemptive purpose together? The church creates crucial conversations that propels us forward. Are you here this morning? and you're struggling, is there a place that you've said this is off limits? Come on. Just lay it down and have the conversation you need to have. Search me, oh God. Is there anything in my life that you want to talk about? Let's have that conversation this morning before you leave in faith. And last is simply this. There was a girl who, com who competed in the Montreal Olympics. Her name was Nadia Comanisi. How many remember her? She competed. She was the first person to, to win and to win with perfect tens, all three. No one had ever done that before. She gave what she thought was the perfect performance. The crowd thought it was perfect. She stepped off the platform thinking she did pretty good and she looked over at the scoreboard and the scoreboard said one. The crowd gasped, one? One? I gave my best and a one? Did I fail? Did I fall? Did I disqualify myself? A one? But the truth is, after they looked at it, they'd never had anybody that had perfect 10s before. So they didn't have a scoreboard that was big enough to show what a real score was. There's a world out there that tells you you're a one. And I'll say in Jesus' name this morning, they don't see the scoreboard. There's not a scoreboard that is big enough that you need to know you're a 10. In faith, you're a 10. You're a 10. You're a 10. Look at your neighbor right now, square in the eye and say, in Jesus' name, you're a 10. The world doesn't write my scoreboard. The King of Kings writes my scoreboard. And in faith, we aren't ones, but in faith, we're tens. And if you believe that, stand at your feet right now as we worship before we close. Lord, I pray right now, as we worship together, we believe together that you are who you say you are. Lord, I pray that you would help us in faith to stand on you, to hold all things together, to be unified together. Lord, whatever you want to speak into our lives this morning, do it. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship. Oh, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Oh, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Oh, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Oh, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me
Our good and heavenly Father just loves you. Have a great weekend. Turn to someone and tell them he just loves you.